you were not aware and you were not prepared to join us, I promise you, you are welcome and you will enjoy, um, hopefully enjoy, I shouldn't, I guess I shouldn't promise that you'll enjoy it, but um, I always enjoy free food, so um, hopefully you'll have an opportunity to join with us and you will enjoy uh, sharing a meal with us today. Our message today comes from Ezra chapter 9, verses 4 to 9, and then uh, verse 15 through chapter 10, verse 1. And I'll ask you to stand this morning as I read the word. We're going to start with our key verse as always, John chapter 3, verse 16, which is our key verse throughout our series on the love letter from God. And it is, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then Ezra chapter 9, verses 4 through 9, and verse 15, 10 through 1, 10, 1. Then everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel gathered around me because of this unfaithfulness of the exiles, and I sat there appalled until the evening service. Then at the evening service I rose from my self-abasement with my tunic and my cloak torn, and I fell on my knees with my hands spread out to the Lord my God and prayed, I am too ashamed and disgraced, my God, to lift up my face to you. Because our sins are higher than our heads, and our guilt has reached to the heavens. From the days of our ancestors until now, our guilt has been great. Because of our sins, we and our kings and our priests have been subjected to the sword and captivity, to pillage and humiliation at the hand of foreign kings, as it is today. But now... For a brief moment, the Lord our God has been gracious in leaving us a remnant and giving us a firm place in his sanctuary. And so our God gives light to our eyes and a little relief in our bondage. Though we are slaves, our God has not forsaken us in our bondage. He has shown us kindness in the sight of the kings of Persia. He has granted us new life to rebuild the house of our God and repair its ruins. He has given us a wall of protection in Judah and Jerusalem. Lord, the God of Israel, you are righteous. We are left this day as a remnant. Here we are before you in our guilt, though because of it not one of us can stand in your presence. While Ezra was praying and confessing, weeping and throwing himself down before the house of God, a large crowd of Israelites, men, women, and children, gathered around him. They, too, wept bitterly. Let us pray. Hide me behind your cross, Lord Jesus. Articulate the Father's heart through my voice, and let the Holy Spirit breathe new life to all of us, opening our ears to hear the message of God. Amen. You may be seated. Now, if you were here last week, you will remember that we talked about how it is that the temple represents God's presence in Israel. And that's an important part of what we're talking about here today. After Solomon built the temple, we read in 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles about all of the kings who failed and did not do what God had asked them to do. And ultimately what we read about is that 
Babylon came in and captured the children of Israel. And they took the best people, the royalty, the wealthy people, the strong families, those who might rise up an army and rebel. They took them out of Jerusalem and moved them to Babylon. They left behind all the people who couldn't fight, the elderly, the infirm. They stayed, and they brought out all of the people that they wanted to use in in their kingdom. When they did that, there are stories, and we'll get to those later when we read some of the other prophets, that talk about how God worked in them in captivity. And we'll read about how it was that they continued to worship God even in that space. But ultimately, God was working. And as Babylon grew bigger, then Persia conquered Babylon. And the Persian kings left most things the same. But one of the kings of Persia made it so some of the children of Israel who had been in captivity in Babylon were able to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. We're going to talk more about the actual process of getting to the place where the kings let them rebuild the temple when we talk about Nehemiah next week. But Ezra has come back as a priest to the people. He was in Babylon They've rebuilt the temple. He comes back, and he is the priest. And he is reminding the people of all the reasons why they were held in captivity in the first place and calling them to account for their generational sin. Ezra and Nehemiah as texts capstone the history of Israel in Scripture. They kind of finish off the story of the history of the nation of Israel that is recounted in scripture. Everything that comes after this part is selected stories from these time periods or has to do with the Psalms of David or some wisdom things and then it's prophets. And all of these things were happening while the history was happening. But the historical record is important because we need it in order to understand everything else that happens in Scripture. You can't understand who Jesus is unless you understand how it is that he came out of the children of Israel. And also, you can't understand what Jesus was doing unless you understand why the temple was so important to the children of Israel. The temple was important because it was the center of worship, but it was also the place where they went to be in the presence of God. They had to go to the temple to do that because there was actually a separate room where only the priests could enter, and then there was a separate room from that where only the high priest could enter once a year to offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. And you see, it is when we come to Jesus and when we understand what Jesus did, it is when we hear him say, it is finished, that the writers tell us that at that moment, 
the curtain that separated us from God that hung in the temple was torn in half. You see, Jesus made a way for us to actually move forward into the actual presence of God ourselves. That's what Jesus did. He tore away the separation between us and God so that we could go to God like we did this morning in prayer time, like we do generally in our lives on a day-to-day basis, and we could actually have a conversation with him. Because of that, God, through the Holy Spirit, reminds us of the things that we might need to be repentant of. God does what Ezra does right here in Scripture. Here it is, this group of people have come back to this place, they've they've worked really hard, they've rebuilt the temple, and they come together, and Ezra says, you still have sin in your lives. And Ezra tells them all the ways that that is causing them to have a fracture in their relationship with God. And so Ezra, on behalf of the people, throws himself on the ground and prays for them and says, God, here we are, your remnant We're resting in front of you. We're waiting for you to speak to us. And as Ezra tells this, the people recognize how they've broken covenant with God, how they've broken faith with God, how what they have done has fractured the relationship God intended them to have in the beginning. But you only understand all of that if you understand all of what came before. And how it is that God, time after time, told them what they needed to do, gave them instructions, said, this is how you can have a relationship with me. This is how I will give you blessing. And time after time, they broke off. They broke off. They broke off. Now we also know that God made this setup with the understanding that even in their behavior, even if they did all the things that he wanted, their spiritual status still needed redeeming. And so it was that not until not until Jesus came that the full redemption could happen for them. But we are no longer redeemed through animal sacrifice, but by the very blood of Christ. Our repentance has to look something like theirs. But we have a hope that comes from knowing who Jesus is. The people there recognize their need for repentance. 
their need for reconciliation, their need for redemption, because they also recognize that all the way along, even in captivity, God had still been gracious to them. God had not executed them all, started over. They have seen God working in the lives of secular kings, kings who had no reason to acknowledge him at all. They've seen that happen on their behalf over and over and over again. And because they've seen God's grace from a distance, because they've seen God's grace at work even when they weren't doing what they were supposed to, their repentance is not so much about guilt for their sin. Their repentance is about recognizing their own insignificance, God's magnificence, and how everything that they've done has been against God. And it's the same thing that God says to us. Have you been... Hateful to your neighbor? That's not just a sin against your neighbor. That's a sin against God. Have you been greedy? Selfish? Those are things we tend to think of as, um, eh, okay sins, because they really just help me out, right? They don't really necessarily hurt anybody else. But they are things that get in the way of our relationship with God. And God says to us, if those things are impacting you, you need to repent. When we look at the children of Israel and we look at what they've been through and we look at how God has worked in their lives, we can see that God has consistently said, I offer you grace. I offer you redemption, not because of what you've done, not because of what you will do, not because of anything about you, but because I love you. I value you. You have worth to me because I created you. And so God says, I ask you to turn away from the sin. I ask you to turn toward me. I ask you to keep your focus on godly things. And I recognize, this is God talking, not me, that you're not always going to get it 100% right. But I also give you grace to stand in those moments. And I give you grace because that's how much I love you. All you have to do is repent. Turn from what you were doing toward where God is acting. 
sounds simple. And it kind of is. <laughs> and if you believe that Jesus has made that way possible for you, trusting in Jesus is all about turning from what you've been doing that's fractured your relationship with God to where God is acting to repair your relationship with God. So I ask you this morning, what are some places, some things in your life that have separated you from God? Is there some old thing that you need to forgive someone for that's maybe hanging over your head and making it hard for you to see God? Is there some place where you're holding on to something you want, but you know God wants you to turn it over to God? You can do that today too. And when you do, what you will find is that as you turn away from the things that separate you from God and you turn toward where God is acting, that God will make it possible for that grace to cover your sin. Because God's grace is available for you because God's love is for you. So as we have been doing every week in this series, I will remind you now of what it looks like to say that the love of God is found in every page of Scripture. What does it mean to say God loves? God loved us enough to create us, to form us from the dust. God loved us enough to let us fall, to let us choose our own way over God's, to let us chain ourselves to sin and defeat and heartbreak and sorrow and death. But God loved us enough to provide a rescue, a way back through wanderers, murderers, adulterers, defaulters, promise breakers, foreigners, strangers, and lovers. God loved us enough to show us Mothers and judges and kings and priests and prophets who loved and spoke for God and kept reminding us of the promise of redemption. God loved us enough to show us how evil and wrong continually mess things up and how obedience to God fosters holiness and bestows blessing. God loved us enough to send us Jesus the only begotten Son of God, to preach and live peace, grace, hope, joy, and love. God loved us enough to see Jesus rejected, to see him die, to see him buried. God loved us enough to raise Jesus from the dead and send the Holy Spirit to remind us of all we have in him and empower us to live like Jesus. God loved us enough to want us to live like Jesus. An abundant life infused with all the fruit of the Spirit, redeemed, free, loved. God loves us enough to still let us choose our own destiny. God loves us enough to promise the hope of forever, of resurrection from the dead, and judgment for our sin. God loved us enough. 
God loves us enough. God will always love us enough. Because for God so loved the world, God loves you. God wants you to know it. God wants you to live in it. God wants you to be able to love others because you know you are loved. And God's love is expressed to us every week, most tangibly, as we gather at this table. The son who died and yet lives gave everything so we could know the depth of God's love. So come, drink the wine, eat the bread, Know you are loved. God loves you. Go love the world with him.